Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. Crash landed. From comics to video games. From the cinematic universe to television. Connecting you to the biggest stars in the industry. Something out there had discovered us. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. Whether you're looking for an escape from reality or immortality, hey, we got you covered either way this week. It's episode 324 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham, and oh yes, once again, it's a great month of July and so much to look forward to. How about the fact that we're going to be talking about the Old Guard movie adaptation, which yes, is now on Netflix. You remember that Greg Rucka wrote the original graphic novel? Well, guess what? Greg Rucka joining me this week to talk about writing the screenplay for the movie, and we'll talk to him about how things, you know, kind of connected between the two and a whole bunch of other stuff as well. Not only that, I mean, if you've been playing Marvel's Iron Man VR on your PlayStation VR system, I'm going to talk to the voice of Ghost this week, Sean Salberry, about what's going on in the game there as well. And how about this? I got a great deal for you this week from Cereal Box. You've heard me talk about Cereal Box before with Marvel's Black Widow, Bad Blood, and Marvel's Jessica Jones playing with fire. Well, man, I have got a great deal. If you've wanted to check out Cereal Box at any point, I've got a great deal for you coming up a little bit later on in the show. But you know things start with comics, right? It's what we're reading next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is writer Brandon Easton, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. No matter what you're reading on or what day, you're reading. It's time for what we're reading. And this is for me in Tom Taylor, I trust, because Deceased Dead Planet number one is here. And you know I'm not a big zombies fan. And that there's more to that book, this book than that, though. Also joined by Trevor Harson doing the pencils here. Gigi Baldassini, Baldassini and Stefano Giordiano doing the inks. Wow, I can't believe that I butchered it that bad. And Rain Barreto on the colors, Saeed Timofante on the letters. Great cover, by the way, by David Finch and Dave Stewart. Now, maybe a tiny spoiler here, but this this particular issue jumps ahead five years from the deceased storyline, and we learned that from Cyborg. Now, a desperate distress signal was actually picked up, and a big decision is left to be made by... Again, maybe a spoiler alert if you haven't actually seen the description of this book. But this will be for the heroes that are on Earth 2. Now, they've decided, you know what? We're 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 going to we're going to take this call. We're going to we're going to go back and we're going to head this call, but they have no idea what's waiting for them. Now, there's a couple of very deep character moments in the middle of this book. And I mean deep, especially if you're a big DC Comics fan and you are invested in a lot of different characters like I am, there was one in particular that really hit home for me, especially once you know what these two have been through together over the years. And then there was another one that was an that was kind of an obvious one, but still it really hits home at the end of this issue especially. Now, there are plenty of fans who will be deeply affected about what happens in these final few pages of this book. I mean, deeply affected. I know that I was. Now, we're also left with kind of a pretty big cliffhanger that could change the course of the deceased story for for the duration 
at this point. But we have to find out what the aftermath is of those final few pages before we can find out how we move forward with this goal. So it's it's kind of a double-edged sword, if you will. And, and you'll understand that if you've read the issue or if you're going to. I mean, this really does go beyond zombies or, or the anti-life equation or whatever you want to call it, to the core of who these characters are, and even in a new generation, how some things never change. And again, that's another thing that you have to kind of read the story to understand the last part of what I just said. Now, the depth of these moments are really brought out by just stunning visuals. I mean, one in particular, the the, the pair that I was talking about that really hit home for me in the, in the, the character moments there... I mean, when that moment happens, and again, these are spoiler-free, so I can't tell you what it was, but when that moment happens, the way it's brought out was just, like, jaw-dropping, and then the the subsequent response to that, again, was just, it was gutting for me, quite frankly. So, bravo to the entire art team on that one for pulling that off, and it's those images, too, by the way. That's gonna that are gonna stick with you, and I know will stick with me until the next issue comes out. So anytime there's anything that that's any even kind of zombie adjacent, I'm surprised when I say this, but yeah, go ahead and grab this issue. You got to pick this one up. You got to put this in your pull box because the suspense alone from one issue to the next is enough to keep me coming back. Now speaking of a little bit of a power struggle, there is the Sacred Six. Number one from Dynamite Entertainment out this week, which is written by Priest, Gabriel Ibarra on the art, Mahan on the colors, Willie Schubert on the letters, and Jai Lee providing some prologue art there, and Jun Chung also providing the prologue colors. Now, this story is ultimately kind of about a fragile truce between a town of humans and a vampire population that is not aggressive towards humans. Now, Ashthorne which is the place, has a power struggle going on right, right now between Drago and Car- and Kataratra. And that and Kataratra is of the Sacred Six. Now, Drago is kind of keeping the peace while Kataratra is kind of hoping for a return to the old ways. Now, you'll figure out what that means if you actually read the story. And, well, it should seem a little bit obvious in a way. Now, you kind of see the struggle and the provocation throughout the story, it's just kind of hard to pinpoint who the aggressor is or if there's or if there really are multiple aggressors because I think if once you see what's going on, you could make the argument either way. I mean, there are other parts to this story too, the kind of, but it kind of makes things all over the place. Sometimes you're trying to figure out you know where you're at, what part in the timeline you're in and and why certain things matter when you get to a certain part of the issue. So things don't really settle down until almost the midway part of the issue. The, the, the thing is, is that separately, these parts were fine on their own, but once you put them together, you're going, okay, I'm trying to see the bigger picture here, and, and maybe I'm just missing something. I mean, part of this is a continuation of Vampirella number four, by the way, but there is kind of a lack of focus on a particular point that makes this story seem kind of off. So I'm not saying that, you know, if you didn't read Vampirella number four, you'll be totally lost here. You might just be a little bit, you know, confused as to where things are in the story based on things. I mean, the art does a very good job, though, throughout of kind of helping to differentiate 
between the stories, but you're going to be looking for that connection because I knew I was. And maybe it's something that I missed. Obviously, Priest is a very accomplished writer. I've always liked a lot of the things that Priest has done. So this one just didn't seem to, just didn't jive for me for whatever reason. Ultimately, this book doesn't offer much for wanting to continue, unfortunately. I mean, the, the vampire story, the power struggle, you don't really get a, a big sense of that. And I know, again, this is kind of a continuation of something that happened in Vampirella, but when you're starting a new series like this, I'm kind of expecting that sense of urgency to really be there for me, and it just wasn't in this particular book. So I don't know if the second issue comes out. I might go ahead and give it a peek to see if the, the, you know, the tea leaves might be a little bit more easy to read, but... Right now, I'm just not sure if I'm going to keep going with Sacred Six number one, guys. That's going to do it for what we're reading. Up next, we're going to step into the world of virtual reality. We'll talk to Chantal Berry about playing Ghost in Marvel's Iron Man VR. Up next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey, guys. It's Larissa Tronco from Netflix's The Order, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, you know, VR games aren't all created equal. I mean, when you can put on the armor and be Iron Man yourself, that's kind of one that you want to jump on, isn't it? So Marvel's Iron Man VR is out for PlayStation virtual reality right now. How about we talk to the voice of Ghost herself right now? It's Chantel Berry. Chantel, how are you doing? Hi, I'm so good. How are you? Doing great. Now, I know that you've done voiceover work for many games in the past. I mean, for Days Gone, Marvel Spider-Man, and some others. So how was your experience on Iron Man VR different from your previous work? Iron Man VR was my first kind of bigger role in, well, in anything Marvel. I mean, Marvel's just a huge franchise. I'd done a Marvel game before, but for me to play the lead villain and to also be doing performance capture and mocap and facial cap and all that stuff with it, it really, really, it made it a completely different brand new experience to me. Lots of fun. Have you sure. actually done mocap before, or was this your first mocap experience? Yeah, I'd done mocap before, but nothing like this. Nothing where I, I really had my own my own lines and my own character, and you know, stuff where I was more in a chorus, uh, in an ensemble. So yeah, this was really fun. It was. I'm glad that, that I'd had a chance to get my feet wet doing mocap previously, mm-hmm. but this definitely was. It's a whole new experience in itself. So Marvel fans are obviously very familiar with Ghost after the character appeared in Ant-Man and the Wasp a couple of years ago. Even just even the average fans familiar with the character by now. So what would you right. say about this version of the character is a bit maybe different, not just from the movie, but from or do you feel like this is more of a faithful adaptation of the comics? Yes, I, I do. I think aside from from the fact that she's a woman instead of a man and in all the comics you know up to this point she he's been ghost has been a man otherwise though there are a lot of truths from the comics that that uh, the team pulled in, in just making this original story we wanted when when we were first working on iron man we were told to really stay away from the cinematic universe so um i didn't watch that the ant-man movie specifically because we were already working on uh, the game at that point and then it came out and we're Mm. like oh i guess ghost has already been playing but by woman so i was eager to watch the performance but uh they were like no don't don't do that we want to keep them separate and it's a, a brand new story that we're creating so we kept a lot of the a lot of the same stuff from the comics other than they didn't make ghost um a past employee of 
of uh, Stark Enterprises. Whereas before in the comics, uh, it was that Ghost was, you know, a scorned person who used to work for Stark. So this was just a different story, but very, very similar. Similar, um, the same kinds of qualities, like Ghost is intangible and, you know, can morph through walls and that kind of thing, and a tech head. So similarities for sure. Beyond not being an ex-employee, I mean, from the trailer alone, you can see that the vendetta against Stark for Ghost seems very, very personal. So would you say that's true? And do you think she has a point in her vendetta? Absolutely. A hundred percent. Just as much as Tony Stark believes he's the one in the right, Ghost a hundred percent believes that she's in the right throughout this. And, you know, I don't know how much she played, and I'm not really sure if I should give anything away, though the game's already out, I guess, so... (laughs) So here goes. But but the, the personal vendetta is really from a childhood thing. You know, Ghost was, before she was Ghost, she was named Michelle, and she was a victim of Tony Stark's weapons. She became an orphan, and she loses her parents and has a, a huge scar on her face because of, of Stark. So for her in this particular story it's very very personal but ghost fully believes that taking stark down really is the answer to to making the world a better place seems like she's not the only one again we saw in the trailer that looks like ghost has a little bit of help as well so how much can you tell us about this alliance with living laser i'm not really sure what i can tell i guess i don't want to give away too much no don't do that no no we don't want you to do that absolutely not no no, no, no. For people who still haven't played it, you know, I'd hate to, to give any spoilers away. But, yeah, there, there's, a, there's definitely an alliance there. And people, people who play will, will understand, understand what it is. But, you know, I think similar to in the, in the real world, you know, when you're going up against someone, especially a, a superpower, it helps to have allies. And I think that's just the case here. Absolutely. We're talking to Chantel Berry, who, of course, plays the voice of Ghost on Marvel's Iron Man VR, which you can play right now for PlayStation VR. Let's talk about some of your other work, because I I think that a lot of fans might not know that, and we have a lot of Valiant fans that listen to the show. You got you actually got a chance to play Roku in Ninjak oh, versus awesome. the Valiant Universe not too long ago. So how yes. fun was it playing that character, and would you jump at the chance to play her again? Yes, I will answer Yes, right away. I would love, and I know the rest of the cast would love a second season as well. Ninjak versus the Valiant Universe, that was a really, really fun project for me to be part of. Originally, when I auditioned, I, I got turned down. The, the creators, the producers were like, you know, some of them were for me, and some of them, one of them, I think, was like, ah, she's supposed to be Japanese or Asian. I'm like, well, I am Asian. I am half Asian. Surely that, you know, that'll you work. Go. I did a call. Yeah, I, d- I did a callback. I still didn't get it. And then it was, it was in the 11th hour. They were like, look, they, everyone really loves you. It's just really the look thing. And they're trying to be accurate. I'm like, all right, what if we do a makeup test? And so they were open to it. I did a makeup test. And right in the 11th hour, Aaron Shonky called me from Bat in the Sun. He's like, all right, <laughs> you're in. Be on set tomorrow. We start rehearsals at 10. I'm like, oh, damn. Okay. So um, getting getting the job alone was felt like such an accomplishment, you know, and then putting myself in, in the role and the mind of this maniacal but very justified person uh, was, was fun, was a lot of fun. One of your more fun roles for me was from Doom Patrol when you got to be the voice of Baphomet 
And there's a lot of people now that the show's on HBO Max that are seeing yeah. Doom Patrol for the first time. So have you gotten any new response from fans on social media? And how happy were you that you actually got to sing for that role? <laughs> oh, that was another really cool one. The audition was like, you'll be a, a blue horse with a spike coming out of your head and you have to sing and you have to sing the song. I'm like, okay. So I just, I did what I thought. I made it mine. I wanted a French accent. And then, and then having to work the job. Number one, when I realized that the scene was opposite Timothy Dalton, I was like, ah, oh, I don't get to do it in person. Like, this is Timothy Dalton. But yeah, I worked with Petra, the sound supervisor for the show. And, and she just, she pulled a really nice performance out of me. It was it was it was just awesome to be able to sing because that's my first that's the first kind of creative expression I had as a child, and now combine my music into the acting. It's it's such a gift. I, I want more of that. I would love more of that. So I saw you asking fans on your Instagram if they had a chance to play the game yet. Now my question for you is: Did you all actually get a chance to experience playing the game either at all during when you were shooting or when you after you work after you worked on the game? Yeah, we not during, but when we went to Comic-Con New York last year in October, whenever that was, we had a chance to play it then. But I didn't. I didn't actually play it then. I, I had to hop on a plane. So I was like, ah, when, when is this going to happen? And then when I heard that they were releasing a demo for the game a, a couple months ago or a month ago, whenever that was, I was like, yeah, let's do it. We have a VR set at home. Let's do it. So we jumped on, and it was pretty incredible. Again, I don't know if you've played, but just just the second my, – my husband films me, but the, the second that I, I was flying, I was there was just a huge grin on my face. Like, it really feels like you're flying through this world, and it's so phenomenal. Being able to turn and see all the 360-degree – view it's it's unlike anything i've experienced so how would you actually describe tony stark in this game especially when you're playing the villain because tony can be frustratingly charming and it's almost kind of hard to hate him a little bit how would you (laughs) describe him in this game as me i would describe him as exactly what you just said very charming very tony you know he always has a quick quid for for everything anything you say He's right on. Like, he doesn't even think before he, he speaks, which he probably doesn't. But I think as Ghost, Ghost would probably describe him as the same, except seeing through his charm, just because she, she's fallen victim to, you know, she's, she's been able to witness over the years from being parentless and orphaned and seeing the destruction that Stark's weapons have really caused. And then... Also seeing the polarity of, wow, this guy is super confident and smooth and like, you know, like God himself. She sees through it all. So she, and, and she's just as quick. So I really, I really feel like she's such a great adversary for him because in many ways they're, they're equal, just on opposite sides of the spectrum. Absolutely. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but you all actually had to finish some of this work for this game during the pandemic. I believe I read that somewhere. So if that's the case... Yeah. Did that affect you at all? What was that experience like for you? And what were the challenges in doing so? Good question. We did. We did have to finish. I did, I think, two sessions, but but definitely my very last session during the lockdown, I did with the team over a Skype call, or I can't remember how the session was, but they could see me. I was in my booth. You know, I'm a full-time voice actor, so 
doing remote sessions isn't an issue for me at all. Luckily, you know, I have the gear and everything at home. So it was relatively smooth. I do prefer being in the room with everyone because I love to be able to work off people's energy and, you know, just when you deliver something and, and you can see whether it's hit the right way or not. I love that. And it also makes it easier to really nail the lines uh, and the delivery. That being said, I think because I'd spent so much time with the team, you know, we worked on this game, I want to say like two years it took. I was already comfortable. So we, I, we already had that rapport. So it didn't matter that there was a screen between us. Mm-hmm. So take us inside the set. You say you're a full-time voice actress, which we obviously know. So take us inside your setup at home. Because me, I'm in a closet, like a makeshift closet <laughs> type studio. I had to make it work. Right, so how, well, take us inside your setup. What are we looking at here? Firstly, I love that. I started in a closet. I, I understand, and I do not judge that at all. Whatever works, really. But I'm lucky. Yeah, I'm, I'm married to a very, very technically savvy person, and, and he's also a full-time voice actor. So we both have really great home studio setups. I have my preamps. I have my DAWs. So I'm using either a Twisted Wave or Logic or, or whatever whatever needs to be used. I have all my mics and a lot of sounds, proofing stuff up within my room. And, and then if, if I need to, if I need more of uh, an isolated kind of sound, we have a booth downstairs. So like I said, I'm, I'm super lucky. All of these things have, have made it quite quite easy for me to do do what I do. Making me jealous over here. I mean, I'm sitting here, I'm <laughs> drooling here. I'm like, wow, this, this is what I need. Wait, I mean, you're, you sound good, so oh, your you. setup is working. I do what I can. Yeah. I've got jets flying over me and everything. I, I, really have to, I really have to do the best I can with this thing. We live near a Navy base, so it's, it's hard. Oh, man, <laughs> I understand. Trash, trash day over here is one of the days where I try not to book sessions because it's, it's impossible. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, I know exactly okay. how you feel. Now, before I let you go, <laughs> Chantel, I mean, I brought up your extensive work on so many different projects from comic book stuff to video games. And now, is there a particular role or a particular project out there that you haven't had a chance to work on yet that you would just really love to be a part of at some point? Oh, such a good question. Oh, don't blank, Chantal, don't blank. You know, I really, I love on camera as well. Obviously, um, you know, it's not just the voice acting for me. So there's, like, there's a list of stuff I'd want to work on. For example, bringing back the singing stuff. I'd love to do something on a show like Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. Ooh, it's, what, a, it's dis- what a discriminating choice. That's very cool. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I mean, there are so many voice projects I'd, I'd love to jump on, but that one is the first thing that comes to mind because I can use, again, I can use my voice as part of the character and, and, mm-hmm. and my musical skills and I just love doing that. Well, watch out for her in Iron Man VR. Marvel's Iron Man VR, which you can play right now for PlayStation VR. You'll see her as Ghost. Maybe you'll see her again as Roku on Ninjak vs. the Valiant Universe. Who knows? Maybe Baphomet will be back on Doom Patrol at some point. But I got a feeling we'll hear a lot more from her in the future. Chantel Berry, thank you so much for joining me this week. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. This week, the Down and Nerdy podcast is brought to you by Serial Box, a name that you probably know from the show because Serial Box delivers premium audio and reading entertainment for people who love immersive storytelling. And I do. I love the fact that I can get this serialized fiction on the go. Serial Box is available on all mobile devices. You can read or listen to these immersive audio productions, which I love, and switch back and forth 
with just a click. As a matter of fact, the full first episode of every series is free, so you can actually sample these without any risk at all. But you're going to fall in love with them, and I'm just I'm not the only one that feels this way. Our friends at Den of Geeks say that one of the biggest perks of Serial Box cereals is that any episode purchased includes the audio version, which is great for readers who need their fiction on the literal run, and I certainly do. As a matter of fact, you might remember from episode 313, I talked to Sarah Natichani from Marvel's Black Widow Bad Blood from Serial Box, and after I talked to her, I was like, I've got to dive into this more, because, you know, someone stole Black Widow's blood, and we had that mission that she was on in that first episode, and as I dug more into it, I find out that somebody stole Bucky Barnes's blood, too, and then this takes us on a whole different path with the mission, and there's this shared history going back to the Red Room days and all kinds of things, and maybe those aren't the only Marvel characters that are going to show up. It's just, it's this action-packed spy thriller that I really, really like, and I know you're missing the Black Widow movie right now that was supposed to be out months ago. Get your Black Widow fix right here from Serial Box. Let me make it easier for you, as a matter of fact. I want you to go to SerialBox.com slash DNPod, or you can redeem the code DNPod to get an exclusive 40% discount on select title. So if you want to give something a try, you want to have a whole season because you know this is something you're going to love, get your 40% discount right now at SerialBox.com slash DNPOD or redeeming the code DNPOD and find your next obsession on SerialBox. Speaking of Marvel, thanks so much to Chantel Berry for joining me this week to talk about Marvel's Iron Man VR. Up next, some big nerd news and the Batwoman casting that we've been waiting for. We'll talk about that next. I'm James Witham, and this is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Yo, yo, this is Cam Rush Johnson from the cast of Batwoman, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Things just got a little bit wilder on the show this week. It is time for nerd news, and... This is an update that we've been waiting on for a long, long time. It has now been confirmed by Warner Brothers Television, the CW, and Berlanti Productions. We have a new Batwoman, and it is Javicia Leslie, who was on God Friend of Me and a couple of other things as well. Not only that, she will play the character of Ryan Wilder. So, yes, they will not recast Kate Kane. We kind of knew that already. Now it has absolutely been confirmed. And not only that, the casting description that they released, almost word for word of the one that was leaked several weeks ago that we talked about on the show before. Now, Javicia Leslie will be the first black woman to portray Batwoman in live action of any kind. Movies or TV. I don't think Batwoman's been in a movie yet, so, I mean, that's a little heavy-handed. So, I mean, you could say that, but if she's never been in one, then it's pretty easy to say that. But in all of this, first of all, I don't want to hear any Batwoman can't be black talk, okay? I don't want to hear it. It's ridiculous. We're not talking about this in 2020 or any other year for that matter. It's ridiculous. Get over it if you feel that way. Let's just move right past that. And where does this story go? from here that is the number one question for me because you built so much into this last season and the way it ended now first of all none of this was in their control ruby rose decided to leave the show there were other reports saying it was mutual it doesn't really matter now what's done is done so you play the cards that you're dealt 
if you're the 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 writers and, and the and everybody that's producing Batwoman. So now you have this Ryan Wilder character. You already built up, you know, the the anger with Jacob Kane with Batwoman. That could probably continue, right? But where does the Alice story go from here? Where does the Hush story go from here? The Bruce Wayne reveal, where does that go from here, right? What about everything that's going on with Sophie and with Julia? The, the Fitting in with the team, as far as Luke goes and as far as, as, as Mary goes and anybody else, that's the easy part for me. That's the easy because there's obviously going to be some hesitation there and there's going to be there's going to be a certain dynamic to that, and that will work just fine. But what I'm worried about is everything else that they've built up to this point this season. Do you, do you completely move away from the Alice storyline? Unless Alice is in some way responsible for whatever has Kate Kane leaving this show, then I don't know how you continue with her unless it's her grudge against her dad that you have that keeps things going and the new Batwoman Ryan Wilder is connected to that because she wants to protect the city above all else. And maybe and the hush thing actually kind of works too, because you know, there, there could be a reason that Ryan Wilder just, you know, knows that this isn't Bruce Wayne and wants to put a stop to it sort of thing. So, so there are some aspects of this that work. I'm just curious to see exactly how they pull it off. But, but I mean, obviously, Javicia Williams, I mean, excuse me, Javicia Leslie, very, very excited for the role. Who wouldn't? She's being welcomed with open, open arms from fellow Arrowverse actors, which is really, really cool to see. There was this big, it was almost like this unification thing on social media. That all Everybody that you could think of from Grant Gustin, David Harewood, a bunch of the others jumping on there to say welcome to the family, basically, because that's what the Arrowverse is is it's a family and i think that you know there's no way to know how good or or how maybe not good this will end up turning out whether that will have anything to do with Javicia Leslie it all remains to be seen until we see an episode with Ryan Wilder in it and this performance we won't really have any idea what to expect? How could we? Obviously, Javicia Leslie is an accomplished actress. She's good at what she does. And, and I think that she'll bring a different spark to the role, quite frankly. But is it, whether or not that's a good thing or a bad thing remains to be seen. Because, quite frankly, I thought season one went quite well. And season two, to me, at least on paper, seems like it's going to be vastly different. So instead of it being season two, it almost feels to me like it's season one part two you know, 2.0 sort of thing. So we're almost at another season one. I'm very, just very curious to see where this goes, but I'm excited either way. I, I'm not, I'm not at all down on this. I'm very excited to see where this new chapter is going to go for Batwoman. Speaking of new chapters, we're going to get one from Stargirl. The show has been renewed, but there is a catch. Exclusive in-season rights for air and streaming are going to be for the CW only, not for DC Universe. So the show will not have a dual airing on DC Universe and on the CW. So this is DC Universe being left out in the cold again, basically. And I don't know. You want to talk about writing is on the wall sort of thing. I think this good. I'm First of all, very happy Stargirl's being renewed. I, I'm not shocked at all. The, the show's done very well. It's a great story. They've got a great cast. 
and it feels like we're just getting started. Not surprised at all that Stargirl's getting renewed. So you have to almost push that aside and talk about DC Universe, right? Because DC Universe, what, what's the future there? And that's what comes up every time something like this happens. We talked about this when Doom Patrol started airing on HBO Max. It's still on DC Universe. But once it started airing on HBO Max, it was like, oh, here we go. And we don't know what's going on with Titans. We don't know what's going on with Harley Quinn. We've got season one of Swamp Thing airing on the CW. And maybe that show could find new life there or elsewhere after airing that season again. But here's the thing that isn't getting discussed enough when it comes to DC Universe. It's more than just its original programming. And I and you could say what you want about, you know, the price of the streaming service and, and, and all the things, and maybe you feel like it's not worth it without original programming. Maybe that was the mass appeal for you. There are a bunch of comics you can read on there. There's still a back catalog of programming to choose from. There's there's all kinds of other things that you can do on there. You've got message boards. You've got you've obviously got you know you know different articles and news items and stuff that pop up on there as well. I know DC Daily's gone, but that doesn't mean that a print version of you know DC Universe news doesn't still exist because it does. And there's some very fun articles on there. If you've never gone on there and had a chance to check it out, they've got that rewards program on there now. It's not like DC Universe is just sitting there rocking with their hands on their knees in the corner, just waiting to, you know, descend into nothingness. This DC Universe still kind of feels like they're a viable entity and that they've got things to offer. And they and they are the ones standing up saying, hey, you know, we're still here, you know, just because this happened doesn't mean that. We're not still here. And it could just be because the CW gave, you know, Warner Brothers Television a financial offer that they couldn't refuse to to have exclusive rights to the show. And, and in a pandemic world where money seems to be in shorter supply than it was before, why wouldn't you take that deal? Right? I have no confirmation of this. I have no inside knowledge of this. But why wouldn't you take that deal if that's the case, right? So, and it's also a way to maybe free things up a little bit for DC Universe. Maybe their focus of original programming will change now. But but you still you're still juggling if you're Warner Brothers, you're still juggling DC Universe, HBO Max and whatever other networks you've got out there that are airing your programming programming. Eventually, you're going to have to figure out exactly what you want to do and how much control that you want to have over your own content. They have that with HBO Max. They have that with DC Universe. They have that to an extent with the CW, but not completely, right? They've got a good working relationship, but that's kind of where it is. So I'm not sure what the future of DC Universe is going to be, but I still don't think it's going to be going anywhere anytime soon. But will DC Fandom in August provide a little bit of insight into that? I guess we'll have to find out. There's a bunch of great stuff coming, though, guys, and I'm talking about three big trailers that dropped this week, and in order to get them all in, I'm going to do this quickly. We've got The Boys, which, of course, is going to have their first three episodes drop on September the 4th on Amazon Prime Video, and you see The Boys are on the run, and at first they're on the run without Butcher. So, you know, they're going to leave you a little bit uneasy there. It's not like the guys can't take care of themselves, but still, you know, that, that was your leader, 
and he's not there. You don't know why he's not there. But then, ah, lo and behold, when he says, when Carl Urban says, daddy's home, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is where it's going to start getting going. And it's basically not only a manhunt for the boys, but an all-out assault by the boys against Vaught and against the Supes, right? Because that's kind of where this all started anyway. But now, you know, you kind of poke the bear, making them all wanted individuals. So, yeah, they're going to fight back even more fierce than they did before. And it's bloody, and it's gruesome, and it's crazy, and you could see that. You can also see Homelander kind of seems like he wants to push the issue a little bit more, right? He looks like he wants more control over pretty much everything, but that's Homelander. And and we remember we saw from the clip that Stormfront looks like she's going to throw a wrench into that. And then you've got Starlight, who kind of just feels like she just looks uncomfortable with this whole entire situation. And I don't know how that's going to play out exactly, but you you see obviously the deep is back. It looks like the seven are, are back together again, and at least somewhat unified, right? So I, I'm very curious to see how this crazy season is going to play out. I expect nothing less from the boys. I also expect nothing less from the Umbrella Academy. They'll be back a little bit sooner on July the 31st, on Netflix, their season two trailer dropped as well. And five finds out, yep, once again, they're responsible for the destruction of the entire world. Big surprise, right? But at the same time, what I think is going to be interesting is, is there the, what, what they talked about in this trailer where it all seems to be tied around the Kennedy assassination somehow. So that's where we're at. We're back in the 60s. And I think seeing this group in the 60s, will be very, very interesting. And we see, you know, them all kind of taking different roles. Looks like like Diego is is off. It looks like he's in an, like an institution of some kind. You see Luther, he looks like he's a, like a prize fighter or a, almost like a cage fighter sort of thing. And, and Vanya's almost like driving Miss Daisy sort of, sort of situation. So it seems like they've all got ordinary things going on, but we know that they're certainly not ordinary individuals. And then did I see Dear Old Dad? pop up later on in the video. This should be very, very interesting. I think we're going to get more Ben this season as well, it looks like. We're we're obviously going to get more five than we got in the last season, and we've got to figure out what's going on with the commission because apparently they're not going to stop coming after the family as well. But the family, again, doesn't look like they're getting along very well. I don't know how quickly they'll be able to get that together because, hey, there's a world to save, and I guess we'll find out whether or not they're going to do it on July the 31st. And we need to find out who the guy with the goldfish head is. I think that I saw his name is Carmichael or something like that. Yeah, we got to figure that out because that is both weird and awesome at the same time. One day before that, Netflix will drop Transformers War for Cybertron at Siege. You know, it was delayed a month. So now it's going to be coming out on July the 30th. That trailer came out and man, oh man, you things look bleak. If you're the Autobots, this the, the war for Cybertron's not going well for the Autobots. It seems like Megatron's pretty much got this war won. And now he's thinking about and the, the key to this seems to be he want Megatron wants to use the AllSpark to actually basically unify everyone as Decepticons. Basically, you would rewrite the memories of the Autobots and you would have one loyal Decepticon army for life. Basically, and that was the wow moment of this whole thing. And we also get to see 
something that we've seen a lot in the comics, and that is Optimus Prime questioning his own leadership and his own methods and whether or not he was responsible for the slaughter of his own people, of his own Autobots. Because as you can see many times in the trailer, there's a lot of dead Autobots, and there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of them left. And, and But Bumblebee is one of them, and I think he's going to play kind of a pivotal role coming up in this first part of the trilogy that we're going to be getting anyway. So the episodes of this series are going to come out on July the 30th. This is the Transformers movie, show, whatever you want to call it. This is the Transformers adaptation I've been waiting for. Give me this Cybertron element. You don't have to bring humans into it. There's absolutely no need. You can tell a great story with just Transformers. And the fact that we're going back and making this almost a prequel to G1, another reason to just freaking sign me up, man. I cannot wait to see what they're going to do with this. Plus, it looks absolutely gorgeous. Rooster Teeth jumping on board with Netflix as well and Hasbro. This just seems like the perfect partnership, and I can't wait. Speaking of partnerships, Marvel is teaming up with Scholastic for some young reader original graphic novels. Now, you know I've been very critical on the show and on the website as well, down in nerdypodcast.com, of Marvel for really not doing almost anything for young readers. I mean, they put out a couple of, of stories with with Scholastic before. One for one of them was for Shuri. I think there was an Avengers one as well. But now they're going full in on original graphic novels for young readers and it is going to start with a Miles Morales story. It's going to start with Miles Morales Shockwave and that is going to be in the spring, excuse me, Shockwaves, and that's going to be in the spring of 2021. This is all going to be under the Scholastic's graphics media kind of arm of their of their publishing by the way but Justin A Reynolds who's a best-selling author going to be writing the Miles Morales story and have art with Eisner nominated artist Pablo Leon so nothing wrong with that and basically it, it's almost very Spider-Verse-esque where you've got Miles Morales who's kind of the normal school kid in Brooklyn and the Vision Academy you know swinging through the streets so he's already Spider-Man and then there's an earthquake in Puerto Rico, and that's kind of where the story takes on a life of its own. So that sounds very, very interesting. We're also going to get a story with Kamala Khan. We're also going to get another one with Shuri as well. It's very, very exciting that Marvel's finally doing this. I know that they kind of they kind of half did this with IDW putting out some of those Marvel action stories. For, well, those were for younger readers. This definitely seems like a younger readers imprint, though a graphic novel imprint. And if if you see the cover for the for the Miles Morales story, it looks like this time they're going. Okay, who do we go to to really make this right? Who knows how to present these stories to young people? And Scholastic is a name that you know from almost every childhood, right? It doesn't matter what your age is. You know what Scholastic is and and how that. They've approached young readers, so if you want to talk to anybody about getting your stories out to young readers, it's Scholastic right now. So this, I think, is going to be at least have the chance to be a very, very meaningful team-up between the two. And I'm very curious to see exactly how this first story goes, because DC has been doing their part for young readers, and they've been putting out some great original graphic novels. Now it's time to see if Marvel can do the same. 
That's going to do for Nerd News up next. Speaking of graphic novels, time to talk about The Old Guard and the movie adaptation, which is now available on Netflix. Let's talk to screenwriter and comic book writer, by the way, Greg Rucka. He's next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hi, this is Amelia Jones from Netflix's Rock and Key, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. So you know how I've been talking about for weeks how excited I am about The Old Guard to come to Netflix, the movie I've been looking forward to quite a bit, and I'm really excited to talk to this guy. He's been on the show a couple of times, actually, and now we get to talk to him about this. It's Greg Rucker. Greg, how you doing? I'm doing all right. Or I should say, uh, I guess this is the common pandemic state of the world answer, uh, fine, with an asterisk. Yeah, there you go. Um, so, yeah, you know. Yeah, I can only I can only imagine at this point. Yeah, I think we're all kind of there now. Greg, you were the screenwriter on this, obviously, as as one of the writers, as the writer of the original comic, and not a whole lot of comic writers actually get to be the screenwriter for the movie adaptation that follows. So, how comforting was it for you going in to be able to have that level of control over the old guard? And it was remarkable. Yeah, kind of rare. So it was something that I did not. It was something that I did not take for granted. And I took it very seriously because when Skydance acquired the property and, you know, I said, I want to, I want to write it. I want to do the adaptation. They, you know, had every right to go. Okay. We will see how that goes. Right. Because can write novel, can write comic does not translate to can write screenplay. Mm -hmm. And also does not translate to, even if can write screenplay, can adapt own work into different medium. Right. You know, so I look and I took it very seriously, and I, I, you know, I put my best foot forward everywhere I could, and I think, as evidence, because my name's on it at the end, that worked. But yeah, I am incredibly aware of not just how unique the opportunity is, but the fact that we were able to do it. So when you're diving into that, you know, naturally there have to be some changes when you go from page to screen. So once you started making that transition, were there any characters that you felt like you wanted to do more with for this movie that you didn't get a chance to do in the original comic run? Oh, absolutely. And I think that's most evident with Niall. You know, in in the original five issues that Leo and I did in, in, in Opening Fire, Niall's presence is vital to the story, but has nothing to do with the plot. Her her place in the story is to both provide uh, an avenue of entry for, for the audience and to sort of shepherd Andy through her through the crisis that she is she's weathering in the comic. And you can't do that in the movie. You know, when you are writing for actors, every you know the the movie is about everybody. Right. Meaning that it's Niall's movie to Niall and it's Nikki's movie to Nikki and it's Joe's movie to Joe. And you have to honor that and you have to write to that. So I think, you know, I think everybody benefited. You know, Copley's another example. I think Copley benefited enormously. But uh, if, if one of them came out, you know, obviously ahead, it's definitely it's definitely Niall who was the winner. It's, it's funny that you mentioned Niall because that's the character when I saw the movie that really, really stood out to me, as a matter of fact. And, and part of that was Kiki, obviously. But do you think there's just a certain quality about that character that you believe makes her so unique in the story? Yeah, I mean, look, Kiki Lane. Yes, Kiki Lane. That's a simple answer. Yeah, it's probably a huge part of that answer because, oh my God, Kiki Lane. 
and she is phenomenal and she is magnetic. But I think, uh, I mean, look, uh, there is so much there that has to be for, for that character's journey. There is so much that she carries for the audience. And that I think in sort of moving from the comic to the screen for Niall specifically, really trying to honor that in in, in, in an honest way and not in, in a insignificant or hat um, one. That, that, that was really rewarding for me. Certainly. Now, you, you mentioned a couple of minutes ago uh, the amazing artist that you had on the, on the comic, which is Leandro Fernandez. Now, you, we, I know that the artists are very much a part of the story in the comic itself. How much input did he actually have in the creative process for this movie? And were there any specific visuals from the comic that you looked at and you said, I have to make sure that is in the movie? Well, you know, when I was writing it, I mean, I was, I was adapting from what we had created. So the screenplay is not, uh, is not a, a shot list. You know, it is, it, it's, I tend to think of it as sort of an architectural blueprint for the story. Mm-hmm. Leo's presence is felt far more in the work that Gina did, you know, as the director. I mean, it, it was one thing to, as, as she said, want to preserve the heart and soul of the source material. It was another thing entirely to say, when we shoot the killing room floor, I want to frame this the way Leandro had framed it, mm-hmm. or I want this shot of, you know, the team walking you know, through the desert, the way Leo did it in silhouette and so on. And that is, you know, that was entirely at her suffering. She made those decisions. And I can't think of, uh, there are a few things more flattering, honestly, because when you think about what making a movie is, right, which is the act of making these decisions in order to tell the story the best way possible, then to look at Leo's work and say, no, that shot was the right shot. <laughs> you know, it's like, mm-hmm. nope, that was it. That was the way. That was the way to do it. We're going to do that too. You know, that's complimentary in the extreme. Talking to writer and screenwriter, by the way, Greg Rucka for the Old Guard, which will be available on Netflix this week. Now, Greg, there's so many layers to Andy's character, obviously. So, other than the fact that Charlize Theron is a huge star, what made her a perfect choice for that role? Oh man, okay, so. <laughs> You have asked me uh, a question that I am almost getting embarrassed to answer because I say the same <laughs> thing every time. But I will say it again because it's true. Andy is really difficult. She's not an easy character to play. All right. She is not inherently likable. She's cool, right? But she's not inherently likable. And one of the things that's going on with her is she doesn't actually care what you think about her at all, right? There are a lot of actors out there, male and female, who will not go near parts that are not guaranteed to make them look good. All right. Shirley Stern has an Academy Award for a reason, and she's got a, a resume that is full of choices that I can only describe as courageous. She picks hard things to do. No doubt. And she picks risky things to do so you know i know that for a, a lot of people when 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 they heard oh charlie Theron's gonna play andy they immediately thought you know oh furiosa you know they thought atomic blonde they were like oh my god physical badass and all of that is true my first thought and i literally 
you know, I literally was jumping up and down was, oh my God, you, she's perfect. You need an actor who is, I won't say fearless because that, that implies the, uh, uh, frankly, a level of stupidity. And mm-hmm. that's not true. She's not fearless. She's brave as hell. And the result of that is that there is now an Andy in the world that I cannot see any other way than as Charlize Theron pleasure, right? I mean, that's, she's Andy. I think that's going to be true fact. for a lot of us after, after people say yeah, this. Yeah, well, well uh, one would certainly hope that's true for the people who hadn't read the comic. Um, I think speaking of the guy who, you know, who lived with this different version of the woman in a way mm-hmm. for a really long time. You know, I'm sitting down to write the third comic series shortly. And, you know, Andy, uh, you know, I see Charlize. And that is that is a remarkable stamp on the character as far as I'm concerned. I would certainly agree with that. I mean, you talk about the action elements, which are great in this movie, but the story also does such a great job at highlighting and creating debate around the concept of immortality itself. So how important mm-hmm. was it for you to explore how that immortality affected each of your characters differently? Oh, it's everything, right? Because, I, you know, I, I did not one day, you know, wake up and go, hey, here's an idea for a story. People can't die, right? right? And, 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 and then think, Nobody's ever done that before, right? This is a myth that we have, as human beings, certainly have been dreaming of, you know, since we were aware that we died. So I think, you know, if, if we have succeeded in doing anything differently, and I think this is where the merit of the story comes into place, is that we really, we interrogate it. And we interrogate it on what would it mean to not be able to die? And I use that phrasing precisely, not be able to die. You cannot end. There is no way to end. And, you know, in, in, in looking at that, that's, and I mean, that's, that's how you get it. That's how you get where we are. That's what I think makes the story worthy as opposed to another story about people who can't die. No doubt about it. Greg, before I let you go, obviously, as the writer of the comic, you've got you've got two volumes of the comic. Now, actually, the second volume's getting ready to hit the trades not too long from now. You said you're getting ready to wa- work on the third chapter. You're probably always living with this sequel in your head. So no spoilers here, obviously, but you have a pretty big cliffhanger at the end of this movie. Do you feel like this story has really only just begun, and how excited would you be for the prospects of a sequel on the screen? Oh, okay. Well, I mean, backwards, working that backwards, I would be incredibly excited. You know, I would cheerfully come aboard for any possible sequel, possible being the, the, the operative word there. You know, I refer to, I refer to the scene in question in the movie as the, in case of sequel break glass scene. Right. And that is exactly what it is. You know, if, if, if we want a sequel real easy, but having said that, one of the things that I really like about this movie is that it is complete. It is, I think, satisfying as a whole. You can walk away from it and have gotten the full meal. You don't leave it going, oh, my God, I, if I don't see what's next, the story has not resolved. The story has resolved. It begs for more questions. There are other things to do. But... 
you know, this movie is it's it, it, this movie is a thing in its entirety. And, you know, as, as somebody who gets a little annoyed when he picks up a fantasy novel, for instance, and gets to page 872 and discovers that, in fact, nothing has ended mm-hmm. and I need to pick up the next one. I, I, I am grateful for that. I hate being teased like that. Give me the meal. And then if I like it, I can come back for seconds. Well, I know that fans are hungry for this one for sure. The Old Guard. Watch it on Netflix this week. Watch it next week. Watch it the week after that. You're going to want to watch this one multiple times. It is just that darn good. And it's one of the big reasons it's because of this guy here. It's Greg Rucka. Thank you so much for joining me this week. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure talking, man. You know, it's funny that Greg brings up the food analogy there because you really get so many different courses with this movie if you want to put it to food because each character, like he said earlier, gets their due and everybody gets their spotlight. But yet as a whole, everything just blends so well together. It's like being presented that perfect meal, but you remember every bite of each thing that you had. That to me describes the old guard in a way. And you'll see it yourself when you watch it on Netflix available Right now to stream. I'm telling you right now, I, I I buzzed through my first viewing and I can't wait for my next one because I, I have to see this thing again. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, thanks to Greg Rucka and everybody at Netflix for joining me this week to let me talk about The Old Guard. You want more of The Old Guard? You want to see clips, trailers, things like that? Before you watch it, go to Down and Nerdy Podcast. Dot com. Also, make sure you're going to cerealbox.com slash DNPOD. You can get 40% off select titles, maybe from Marvel. Maybe there's something else there that'll catch your eye. Yeah, you're going to want to listen to these serialized stories. They are amazing. And also follow along with us on social media as well at Down and Nerdy 757 on Twitter and on Instagram and at Down and Nerdy on Facebook. Remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds.